This podcast is brought to you by Upcase. Improve your development skills by completing coding exercises that are peer-reviewed by real humans. Learn more at Upcase.com. How you doing? How's your week been? It went by pretty quick. Yeah, it, mine too. It goes by quick when you're on the beach. Are you on a beach right now? <laughs> oh, you know, not on client work. Ah, okay, okay. I didn't know that was a thing we were saying. That might just be a San Francisco expression. Mm. <laughs> it almost certainly is just a San Francisco expression. <laughs> saying that you're on the beach. No, I literally never heard that. Now you have. <laughs> there you go. Hey everybody, this is Gordon in Boston. And this is Mark in San Francisco. And this is Bill Phase. I'm so tired. I've been like super inconsistent about getting to the gym recently and I had to like drag myself there this morning. Just fighting with myself the whole time. Like pull myself out of bed and like I make eggs when I go to the gym. But uh, I'm... <laughs> I was just like begrudgingly making myself breakfast. You know what I mean? I was like super annoyed with the whole process. Like sit down, I sit down in front of, you know, in the couch to eat it. And I'm just like staring at the eggs. I'm just like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> like I didn't want to eat them. They didn't taste particularly good. But I ate them like slowly getting ready. I think in the back of my head, like I knew that if I just took long enough to get out of the house, I would just bail on working out. So like, just like moving super slow and finally get on the bus. And I'm fighting with myself the entire time on the bus about whether or not I'm going to go. Because at this point, like it was a seven thirty bus to get in. Right. I didn't get into town until like eight thirty, And, theoretically i'm supposed to be at work at nine and it takes way longer than a half hour <laughs> for me to like do my whole workout and so i'm like i don't know but i had pre-workout with me i told you about this before but like if you don't know what pre-workout is pre-workout is kind of awesome but it's basically this crazy stimulant that tastes like fruit punch <laughs> that's completely unregulated right <laughs> yeah yeah almost entirely some of these some of these are like super sketchy like they're basically just straight amphetamines it's like mm, i don't want that one um this one's actually okay it's fairly mellow and i only do like half a scoop which is good because i can't imagine what it would be like being on a full scoop of this stuff um but i had like this pre-workout stuff in my bag mixed in my water bottle. And so I was like, I've already got this stuff. There's a certain point you're supposed to take it like 15, 20 minutes before you start working out. So I have it all timed down to like this one toll booth. When I go through this one toll booth, that's when I should take the pre-workout because that'll time well for when I actually get into the gym. It just makes you super focused and super jacked up, like really gives you a ton of energy and a ton of focus. Um, it's pretty wild stuff. But at that point, I was just like, I finally, once I got to that toll booth, I finally was like, screw it. I'll just come in late and took the pre-workout. And At that point, there's no turning back. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> I was reading a book and I had to stop reading the book because like all of a sudden my focus just like like sharpened into a point you know what i mean i was like oh dang i'm not tired at all anymore 
I was kind of like just sitting on the bus, like let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Just imagining you bailing out and just pushing the bus the rest of the way. <laughs> yeah, through traffic, like that animated GIF of the bus <laughs> busting. You know, and he's like coming off the off ramp. He just running into cars, like you. I'm a bus. I'm a bus. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. With you behind it. With me behind it, pushing yeah. the bus. Yeah. I mean, your workout aside, it sounded like. The struggle was real this morning. That's a that's a workout in itself. Yeah, no, it was really hard getting there. <laughs> angrily scrambling eggs. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't like I was angrily doing it. It was just like completely dejected and beaten down. <laughs> like I was really upset that I just had to do this. But I've only been I had only I've only I only went to the gym twice. I missed Monday's workout. I only go three times a week and I missed Monday's workout. Ended up doing Wednesday. I actually went to the gym yesterday to stretch, which is good. Been helping my hips a lot. Um, rough morning. Rough, yeah. rough morning. A dejected Gordon in my mind looks like um, looks like the dude in the first scene of The Big Lebowski where he's walking through the supermarket. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Just exactly. Like, like, like a rope. That's exactly. <laughs> that's exactly what it was. That's exactly what it was. Paying yeah. for a thing of cream with like a post dated check <laughs> for like sixty nine cents. <laughs> right. right. Yeah, it's really close. <laughs> what have you been doing this week? Weather app. Oh yeah. You yeah. Almost done. Yeah. Yeah. Look, looking at uh, next Friday being a milestone. What are you doing? Are you shipping it to the store, or are you just doing it internally for right now? Pretty sure we're shipping it to the store. We bought a domain this morning. There's a landing page. Uh, awesome. Can you give that uh, up? No, that's not set up yet. Okay. I don't know if it'll be set up by the time this okay. comes out. Okay. So not yet. We'll do it next week. Stay tuned. That's cool. That's exciting. Yeah, it is exciting. Selling it? Giving it away? Giving it away. Yeah. We had a lot of discussion about yeah. pricing and decided yeah. to give it away. Open source? Uh, once it ships, yeah. Awesome. Open source. Awesome. I like that a lot. Yep. Yeah, it, it was always meant to not make us money as much as just be something that we can show yep. as an example of our work that's not a client's app. Right, something that we control completely. Because there's plenty of stuff that we've done, but it's like we can't, you know, we either did a bunch of development on it, but no design, or we did design on it, but then the design changed. And so it's kind of hard to find find apps to point at. Yeah, this one's been good. It started during our two-day hackathon at the end of last year. And we had a working a working app in two days. Yeah. Which is great. Um, and the rest of the time has just been we've been adding features and just enough for it to pass as a weather app. Sure. Yeah. Trying to get to a point where it can be my only weather app. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of refactoring and like playing around with architecture. Reactive Cocoa, right? Yeah, I'm finally I'm finally on the on the trolley. I'm so excited for like I think I said this. I may have only said this to Tony, but I feel like like the San Francisco office <laughs> over the past week and week and a half getting into Reactive Cocoa, and the Boston office like pushing straight functional programming and Swift, and we're like converging <laughs> you know what i mean we're yeah. converging on the same ideas from two different points of view and yep. it, you know what i mean yep. like i i'm fascinated with how all of this is going to like because I, I feel like over the next month or so like 
the the work that we're doing independently in these offices is going to start bleeding into each other and i think that's i'm super excited about that because i'm super excited honestly selfishly i'm really excited to understand how the hell reactive cocoa (laughs) works what like i still can't read it you know which is embarrassing um specifically more than anything the objective c apis i find confusing still yeah and part of that might be just me being spoiled with closures and functions in swift and that blocks in objective c are just much harder to read but whatever i i would check out rx swift or there's a swift development branch of reactive coco uh right and i, I think the original 3.0 got put on hold like there was a for bunch this. of work done for three in objective c and it they just kind of said they threw it away yeah they threw it all away and yeah hold in rx swift and use that as like a starting point yep for yep. 3.0. Yep. So that's interesting. Yeah. And they're using our they're using the that branch in Carthage, which is interesting. So if you look at Carthage, Carthage is written against the Reactive Cocoa, the Swift APIs for Reactive Cocoa. I should look at Carthage again. When I, I looked at it when it came out and I didn't know enough about Reactive Cocoa at the time. I'd, to I'd love to see if, it. I'd love to see if you understand it more now because I still kind of look at parts and I'm like, uh, I can kind of follow along with what's going on here, but some of it doesn't make sense. But they've been fairly bullish about not using straight up functional stuff. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like I think the only place in they have a branch for one of the things they're going to add to Carthage, which I think is kind of awesome, is automatic use of pre-built binaries from GitHub releases. So, for example, if Reactive Coco says they – if they use GitHub releases and they build the framework and put it in releases, then Carthage will automatically just – instead of downloading the source code and, code and building the source code, it will just download the pre-built binary, which is great because it means that – Companies like Dropbox or Crashlytics or uh, Hockey, I think they have you know they have these pre-built binaries and they don't want to give out all of their source code. But you can use GitHub releases and immediately get one have a nice place to download various releases, but also immediately it works with Carthage. So in that branch, they're actually using Argo for the JSON parsing. So they're hitting the Google, the GitHub API and then using Argo to parse the response JSON. Um, and as far as I know, where they're using Argo, that's the only place that they're using these functional operators or anything. And that's just because it's the cleanest way to do it. Mm-hmm. We think. I'm biased, but... <laughs> <laughs> you know, but they're not using oper- they're not using any functional operators or anything. They're using the instance methods like flat map on result and um, that kind of stuff. But they're not using operators all over the place. So that's that's great. I actually didn't know that Carthage was adding support for the pre-built binaries. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I think it's a cool idea, and just hooking directly into GitHub releases for that is fairly smart. So. I'm excited to see what that looks like. I've really been enjoying Reactive Cocoa. I have yeah. been reading a lot, a lot, a lot. And I keep, um, just when I'm feeling hopeless about understanding something, mm-hmm. I, I seem to stumble upon like the a GitHub block. issue. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> oh. Like a GitHub issue or like a Stack Overflow question. And your buddy Eric Price is there <laughs> every time, like with the answer that I need sure. at, at that moment. So. Sure. 
So pass along my thanks if you. <laughs> I will. I will. I will. That's good to hear. There's a blog post that I've actually had open in a tab that I don't know if you've read it, but it's called Reactive Cocoa and MVVM: An Introduction. Mm-hmm. What what blog is this on? Is this on Cocoa Samurai? Sprinthesis. Sprinthesis. No. Sprinthesis. That makes sense. Uh, oh no, I haven't seen this one. There's another one that I came across that was like reactive cocoa design patterns, which only has a couple articles, but I thought it was interesting because I was having trouble understanding switch to latest and flatten map in mm-hmm. reactive cocoa and an article that laid those out pretty well. That's cool. I'm 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 excited because we've been talking about wanting to get into this stuff for like a year. <laughs> you know what I mean? If you look at the timeline of the show, this show, I think when we started the show, we were both very much like, I don't get it. I'm not that into it. And then gradually, especially once we started doing the MVVM stuff a while back and then seeing the benefit of that, constantly we're like, I feel like Reactive Cocoa might be able to solve these problems that, uh, you know, these these pain points that we're hitting. But that's a whole lot to throw on mm-hmm. the pile here. And so I'm happy that we're fine or, you know, we as a company are finally looking. I mean, Jack and Rita in our Stockholm office have been using Reactive Cocoa for years, you know, seriously, and pushing it. And the rest of us just haven't been listening. It helps having a project that's not client work where you're kind of just encouraged to take the time to experiment with things and that you have more than just one day a week to do it. Yeah, yeah. Because it's very much been a multi-day endeavor. Yeah, right. Actually getting Reactive Cocoa to work the way that I want. I think you and I are very different programmers than we were when we started this show. For some sure. 70 weeks ago. For sure. I've definitely gray-bearded a bit. Where yeah. like All the things that Reactive Cocoa fixes used to not annoy me. I was just like, oh, it's just programming. Programming's fun. But now I'm like, no, I just need this thing to work. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to pull in this library. Done with it. Yeah. Yeah. I, when I was, I know that like when we started the show, I was very much, I was more interested in OO design patterns than anything else. And I very much flipped 180 degrees on that to where I'm less interested in OO design patterns and more interested in obviously the functional side of things like generics and kind of the power behind all that stuff. But it is interesting having kind of like conversations like this once a week though. And being conscious of these changing opinions. I mean, where are we going to be in another year? I don't know. Space? Mars? Let's go to Mars. Okay. <laughs> Let's say here. What? What is It's January. January 2016. Mars. Live from Mars. Build things. Right. <laughs> so we're going to have to leave in about two months. <laughs> yeah. Well, you won't hear for us for a while. I don't know what the you know alignments are like. I'm gonna have to okay. Have Consult to your up. charts. Yeah, yeah. I have to work out a home and transfer orbit here. Uh huh. Uh huh. As you do. Sure. Sounded mathy. So what else have you been working on this week? That's it. Do Main want, focus on that app. About, do you want to talk about test flight? Did you want to complain about test flight? Um. 
let's come back to that. <laughs> okay. I need to I need to gather up my thoughts again. Okay, because <laughs> like, it's it's been a few days, so the ah the pain has receded. Right, right. <laughs> you need to go try doing something on test flight again immediately before we record the show. Agreed. In typical <laughs> Apple Stockholm syndrome fashion. <laughs> Now that it's not hurting right now, I'm like, oh, yeah, Apple, yeah, Apple's all right. Right, right. They're fine. Right. Xcode when it's not crashing. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll, I'll prompt you then. Okay. H- how about this, this issue on Argo? I, I want to have someone explain it to me. Sure. The one that makes everything break on release. Doesn't anymore. Shits. That issue is closed. Just so oh, clear. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, that stressed me out all day. Um, so someone opened an issue and, and it actually ended up not being a problem is, mm. is what it, it, it actually ended up not being the problem that I thought it was going to be. I'd heard horror stories about this. So the issue that was open was that when they tried building Argo under the release scheme, which turns on swift optimizations, right? When they tried building Argo under release schemes, they were getting seg faults, but worse than that. So like runtime errors. Not even runtime error. I think just build errors at that point. I'm not sure. I think the compiler starts seg faulting, not the code itself, but the you know, in the it seg faults in the compilation process, which is something that we've dealt with up till this point. Swift seg faults a lot, especially when you start using some of the functional stuff. I don't know why there's something with generics and optionals and kind of the way we're using them that is really just. It makes it very clear that the compiler is very, very much at the at its outer limits for its capabilities. But so the so the issue that was open was that when he tried building Argo under the release scheme, which is Carthage's default, he's getting seg faults, and worse than that, he was getting incorrect behavior. So JSON that should parse just wasn't parsing, and it wasn't even parsing. It wasn't even failing the parsing process. Like the whole point of Argo is that if one part of the parsing fails, the whole thing fails. So if you if you have a user and you have user JSON, if those objects don't get parsed out of the JSON, right? If its properties don't get parsed out of the JSON, you end up with no user, right? He was getting he was seeing issues where he was parsing JSON that was set up correctly and getting null values back for the properties. So it was like incorrect behavior plus seg faults. And he's like, what the hell is going on here? I had heard a lot about just kind of in the peripheral. I'd heard a lot and I don't, I know very, very little about what's actually going on here. I think I've said, and we both said a number of times, like I have no idea what's going on with I don't know anything about compilers. I don't know anything about what Swift's doing under the hood here, what optimizations it's actually doing. But I'd kind of seen a lot in my peripheral. I'd seen a lot of people complaining about optimizations breaking their frameworks. And when I asked some people about it, <laughs> I was like, I was like, am I making this up that this happens with optimizations? The answer I got was like, oh, yeah, no, it just will segfault the compiler sometimes. <laughs> it's like, awesome, great. But then, like, if you turn those optimizations off, it could run literally, like, a thousand times slower. So, like, that's not great either. It turns out that what was actually happening here 
was a combination of two things. It was it was related to the compiler, to the optimizations that was happening. But the root cause of the problem was that for whatever reason, I think we changed a type at some point in Argo's development. But for whatever reason, we were using bind or flat map incorrectly internally in Argo. So flat map for optional takes a function from A to optional B and an optional of type A and returns an optional of type B. You hear that? So it unwraps the value from the optional that you hand it, passes it through the function, and returns the result of that. But the key point here is that function has to be of type A to optional B. I'm going to, I'll link, I will link, like you should pull up the runes. You can see the type signature in the runes readme. Um, and I'll link to that here because I know it's hard to kind of visual, it can be hard to visualize. But do you see that type signature there? Yeah. So that's the key here, right? Is that that function has to be of type A to optional B. Unfortunately, Swift with its magical optional, implicit optional wrapping, right? Where if, if I pass an object to something that takes an optional, it will just wrap it in an optional for me. You know what I mean? It does this implicit change from non-optional to optional, which is nice a lot of times. But in this case, what it was doing is it was coercing functions that returned non-optional values. So if you use map incorrectly, we were passing functions that did not return optional values through bind or through flat map, hmm. right? And what it was doing is it was coercing functions from type A to B into type A to optional B, which shouldn't be a big deal. It really shouldn't. And the compiler is actually very happy with that. It doesn't care. It builds and it runs, and most of the time it's fine. But every now and then, you can get these seg faults that end up pointing back to the improper use of bind I, or flat map. I'm trying to train myself to not say bind and to say flat map instead. Bind is a Haskellism. Flat map is what we're calling it in Swift. I, I, sincerely apologize if i keep messing that up but um like there there probably shouldn't be a problem with that you know what i mean like it's incorrect at the type level and if you want to be strict about the types that's not great but if the compiler is smart enough to take the return value from the function and just wrap it in an optional then that's probably not the worst thing in the world right but sometimes it will seg fault I'm not sure why sometimes it will segfault, but sometimes it will segfault. And it turns out whatever compiler optimizations Swift does when you turn on the fastest optimizations, that is a big one. It, it all of a sudden none of those work. So either all so once I switched it over, I switched all of our tests over to the release scheme and all of a sudden every test was failing. And we were getting a bunch of EXE bad access stuff, a bunch of seg faults all over the place. So, again, because of an improper use of flat map. Not because of flat map itself, but because we were using flat map improperly. So it turns out that this guy who reported the issue, there was actually an updated build that he hadn't gotten to. Right, He hadn't pulled down the newest build. The newest build did fix that issue. It changed the one place in the source code where we were using flat map improperly. 
And then I also went through and changed the test schemes to use the release configuration and fixed all of the tests to not use flat map, to use map instead of flat map, which was is the right way it should have been written in the first place. So it was like a whole bunch of it was like a whole bunch of things. It was like half our stupidity, half the compiler making promises it couldn't back up. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Which was this coercion that it wanted to do, but then ultimately failed to be able to do. And then for the future, what I did is inside runes where all these operators are defined, I added I think this is still in a pull request right now, but I added errors, really. I I you can you have the, you have this at unavailable oh no at availability annotation that you can use. So I defined flat map on both array and optional for that for that incorrect type. You know what I mean? So I defined it as I def, I created definition for a function that goes from just A to B instead of A to optional B, and then made them unavailable and added a warning message that says. You know, this function doesn't return the proper type. Maybe you want to use map instead, right? So now it's unfortunate that we have to do this, and I wouldn't do it if it was just a correctness thing. Like, you can use apply, quote-unquote, incorrectly as well, where you you don't actually need map and apply. All you need is apply, and it'll just work. Again, because of the implicit wrapping of non-optional values. So the difference between map and apply is that in map, you need to pass a function, but in apply, the function is optional. That's the only difference between the two types. But in Swift, again, that it doesn't matter in Swift. If you pass a function to apply, it'll just wrap that in an optional value and go along its way. You know what I mean? So like I'm not as concerned with enforcing correctness like if i was if i was concerned with enforcing correctness here i would make those i would write definitions for those with non-optional functions and make those unavailable as well i'm not as concerned with correctness as i am concerned with like this is a mistake that we've made that has been shown to be very very dangerous for source code it like the fact that it crashes or produces unexpected results is dangerous to me. I don't want that. So I want to try to protect myself and our consumers by making it just like forcing to use the right type. Makes sense. Can I ask you a quick, a quick side question about some of these definitions? Yeah. How does Swift know the difference between the type of a function that returns an optional value as opposed to the function itself being optional? You know what I mean? How does it say that again? How how do the declarations differ? Like there's a, you know, a function that takes a value and returns an optional value or a function that takes a value returns a non-optional value but the function itself is optional. I mean those are just two very different things. Right, right? but I feel like you could write them the same way when you're defining them. Right? No, because you wouldn't you can't define a function that is itself optional. I'm, I'm talking about like the argument to a function that takes a function, and that function can be optional. Yes. So you're looking at apply and... Oh, oh I see. My, my stupid now. 
I get it. You get you have to, to wrap it in friends. Yeah, you wrap the function itself in parens, and then oh, I get, I, I get it. You're talking about because of the trailing. It's just a trailing question mark. So yeah, it's just I, all about it's just all about parens. Parens in a lot of Swift is you don't need them. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? They're not required by the syntax, but you can put them in there if you want to do special things. Like, for example, saying like this is a function. Everything inside. If I do parens a arrow b, that is a function that takes an A and returns a B. And then if I add a question mark at the outside of the parens, then now it's an optional function from A to B. If I put that same question mark inside the parens, it would be a function from A to optional B. I, I was missing the parens one. I was looking, I was just looking at flat map. Yeah. And yeah. for some reason was thinking that function was an optional function, but it's not. It's a non-optional function that returns yes. an optional value. Yes. Okay. No, that was just my one quick aside. Yeah. Did you like my pronunciation guide? <laughs> Wait a minute, I'm going back. Oh, I think I, I think I read this yesterday. Yeah, I liked the pure one. <laughs> Thanks for telling me how to pronounce words. I don't remember if I said this last week, but like I feel like we really have to play up the self-deprecation on this library. Or else we'll be accused of taking it all too seriously and it'll just be a mountain of hate dumped on it. You know what I mean? Like seriously, because the this concept, you know, using operators for this stuff is already like I feel like very, very – it's a touchy subject. You know what I mean? Like someone at NS Coder Night last night, I was just talking to them about stuff and I think I showed them this as a way of explaining something and they were like – Oh, this is what operator overloading abuse looks like. And I was like, well, come on, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> how, you know, how is that? A, like, I can't have a conversation where that's the start, you know? But so it's already a touchy subject. So I feel like I, I want to play up the joke. Like, the name runes itself is like, because they're just s symbols, <laughs> you know? The description for the thing is indecipherable symbols that some people claim have actual meaning. <laughs> you know like i can't i can't take it too seriously if i take it too seriously then other people will take it too seriously and we'll get mad about it and that's dumb there's better things to get mad about anyway <laughs> did you have any other questions nope that was it <laughs> All right, so let me think about my latest test flight complaint so this this rant is actually an extension of the Apple ID rant that we had back in the now infamous Golden Fontenot episode. God damn it. <laughs> yeah, continue. Um, so we have two iOS dev accounts here at ThoughtBot. Yes. Or not iOS dev. We have two developer, Apple developer accounts. One is an enterprise account. One is not. One has an iOS program attached to it. The other one... <laughs> does not and has a Mac program <laughs> attached to it. And um, it, it, it's kind of a mess. And as far as I can tell, there's no way to differentiate when it comes to iTunes Connect if you log in with, like, the main admin account that controls both of those. You know what I mean? Like, you log into iTunes Connect with, like, you know, the one account we have that is, like, the owner of both of them. I think the enterprise one has a special owner. Okay, maybe that's why I don't see any sort of team, <laughs> team switch there. Yeah. And it just, so anyway, <laughs> once you have that set up and once you, you know, submit an app 
to test flight for review and then have it released, you go to invite some testers. Mm-hmm. And so the first thing you'd, you'd think to do, you know, given this is like a company developer account, would be to add internal testers. Oh, so, yeah, this. <laughs> so you do internal testers and we, you know, we invite marketthoughtbot.com. That doesn't work no. because marketthoughtbot.com already has a developer account. Right. I don't know why you can't. It's, it's already called internal. <laughs> it's, it's an account that is associated. It, it, you know, it's on this program, but you can't invite it because it mm-hmm. wants you to make a brand new Apple ID. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is the same problem in I, inside all of iTunes Connect, by the way. Like if you wanted to add, if you wanted to add me as a, like a agent. You know, like we have this problem with clients where it's like, I don't want <laughs> my clients' credentials for their iTunes. Con- like, I really, really don't. I don't want my clients' credentials for their Apple developer account so that I can submit it to the store, su- submit their app to the store. But I also don't want to have to have my client go through the submission process themselves because it's it involves Xcode. And so I don't want anyone to have to touch Xcode if they don't already have to touch Xcode. And so the same thing happens there where you can't add existing Apple IDs to iTunes Connect. Sorry, continue. It's a mess. So, you know, we invited everyone as external testers. Right. Which is, I think, the only way... Like, I don't know how else you're supposed to do that. Yeah, I also also don't know what the difference is. Well, right. Like, given what I just said, I I don't understand what an internal test. Maybe the thirty day limit doesn't apply to internal testers. What's the thirty day limit? Oh, so you upload a build to test flight. The build is only good for thirty days. After thirty days, it will stop working. Wow. So you have to keep pushing new builds to keep it active on people's devices. Hmm. Which is not a problem if you're you know sure, active, if you're actually testing. <laughs> Right. But uh, if you're looking to use it for distribution, I mean, I guess that's what they're trying to guard against. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, external testers, you get a thousand. Right. So. And it's, and it's scoped to your Apple ID too, not to devices, which is huge because it means that you don't, you can have, you know, like I've got, I've got a phone and an iPad. You can just send it to my Apple ID and I can install it on both. And now I, I'm a better tester for you because I can install it on both of my devices. That leads me to my next issue. Uh-oh. Internal testing would have been fine. I didn't care that I had to make a new Apple ID. I just made one that was like Mark plus, you know, test flight. Yeah, right. At ThoughtBot.com. That way all the mail still comes into my account. The problem there is that the test flight app on the iPhone is implicitly tied to the account you have set up in the store preferences Sweet. on your iPhone device. And there's mm-hmm. no way to change it just in test, test flight and say, hey, I want to use this account instead. Mm-hmm. So I have my super old legacy Apple ID that I created in 2005 that I'm like still using. So I can't, I can't just switch it to Mark plus test flight at thoughtflight.com <laughs> just to be able to get test flight builds because right. I still need you know a functioning... No Apple ID for the App Store. <laughs> yeah, right? so that is completely useless. Right. That is, who doesn't have an Apple ID set up on their phone? I I, I what, don't what I don't understand what for? they expect us to do if we I can't you know, know change if anyone's it. Anyone's actually used internal testers in the new test flight? 
They're also rejecting binaries now that include the test flight SDK. Did I you see saw that? that. <laughs> yeah. What was the next problem? <laughs> oh, okay. So this is less of an Apple problem and I think more of a Google problem. Uh, okay. So we started sending out these invites, uh-huh. you know, external testers, sending them to people here at ThoughtBot. And a lot of people have Gmail addresses as their Apple ID, which is not surprising. Uh, most people's Apple IDs are years old and you know, <laughs> having a personal Gmail account attached to it is not crazy. Right. And on top of that, a lot of people use the Gmail app on, on the iPhone. Mm-hmm. Or if they choose to access you know, the mail through the browser, a lot of people use Google Chrome as their browser on their, on their phone as well. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what Google is doing to outbound links from those apps, but iOS completely chokes on them if you try to activate your test flight link from either the Gmail app or inside of Google Chrome at I, gmail.com. I bet, I bet I know what they're doing. I bet they're wrapping all external URLs, especially from the Gmail app. I bet they're wrapping those in the Chrome URL scheme. That's a pretty good idea. I wouldn't be surprised if that's it. And that's so it, horrible. And, and so from what I can tell... All of these URLs are actually getting handled by iOS itself because there is code there to determine what to do. And it needs to know whether the test flight app is installed on your device. So I think it's actually being handled by the system. Like it, pick, it, it sees this you know, URL and it goes, okay, I need to check if test flight is installed. If test flight is installed, we'll launch it and we'll show a modal that takes you to that app so you can download it. If it is not installed, they take you to the app store and then they you know, show the test flight app there. So for people who were opening these links in Gmail, it would either send them into a loop where (laughs) even though the test flight app was installed, it would constantly take them back to the app store. Mm -hmm. Or other folks reported that it would launch the test flight app and then nothing would happen. (laughs) It would just sit there. Hmm. And I thought I was doing something horribly horribly wrong. (laughs) And then I, I finally managed to pin down that you know, these people were using the Gmail app. Yeah. And as soon as they went into Safari and went to gmail.com, everything was fine. Wild. Wow. So. <laughs> I don't know. Who, who do you blame? I don't We don't, I guess we don't know enough about what Google is doing there inside the Gmail app with outbound links. Cause it seems like they're a problem, but it also could be Apple. I mean, how would that work if they were using the Chrome well, I didn't fully understand the problem, but but my thought was that they check to see if Chrome is installed, and if Chrome is installed, then they either change the what is that the protocol? What's the HTTP bit? The scheme. Scheme. Mm-hmm. They either change the scheme to you know Chrome colon slash slash or whatever their URL scheme is, or they just wrap the whole URL in Chrome colon slash slash. Mm. And then they have a custom like that's, that's the only way that they could open the Chrome browser to a specific URL from inside the Gmail app. Right. So it makes sense that they're doing something like that. What doesn't make sense is why they would be touching URLs that like what, what it, it, this is so speculative. Like, but it seems it sounds like like what they should be doing is looking at it seems like if they did the right thing here which was to 
every URL that's tapped, check to see if the – no, because they can't do that because all HTTP URLs can be opened by the system. I was thinking that they need to check to see if the you know the application can handle URL or does handle URL or whatever the hell that API is. But they can't do that because all HTTP – I don't know. Computers. Computers are hard. Yeah. That – what you just said about trying to open it in Chrome might explain the two different behaviors we were seeing. Mm-hmm. Maybe one person was using Gmail but has Safari. Safari. But the other person has Gmail and Chrome. Mm-hmm. I don't know which one is which, but that would explain why it wasn't just one problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, once we got it set up, yeah, reviews don't take that long. Like Our first one took less than 24 hours. We shipped another update to it that took 120 minutes yeah. to go through review. So, like, that's fine. That's fine. There is a brief period as well where once you've added a new build, you have to add testers to it or you mm-hmm. have to activate it to be able to add testers to it. But once you activate it, it deactivates the old build. Oh. So that so time that it's in it? review, that time that it's in review, nobody can get it. Nobody can download it. Right. I get it. Okay. But if you have it, you can use it. Right. Which is really unfortunate because we sent out a bunch of invites last week and then shipped an update (laughs) and then disabled it. And everyone's like, where's the app? Like, oh, uh, you just got to (laughs) wait. It's been one thing after another. But overall, it's nice. Like, it's nice being able to just get your apps through test flight and not have to worry about installing a provisioning profile or. Right. I'm on, I'm on a beta for Slacks. I got Mm. into their beta. And it's been a, it's been nice as a tester to not have to deal with any provision profile stuff, to not have to deal with any external services. I just get push notifications on my device that a new build is available, and then I just go do that. You know, mm-hmm. updates in place. Puts that nice little orange badge next to it, which I really like. I really like being able to be like, oh, right, this is a beta build. You know? Wrap it up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah? I think I've done enough complaining. <laughs> sure. I'm going to go write some code. Okay. Show notes for this episode will be found at buildphase.fm slash 69. As always, we'd like to hear from you, so email us at buildphase at thoughtbot.com or reach out on Twitter at buildphase. And as always, no. Readings and reviews on iTunes are greatly appreciated. Uh, uh, <laughs> Cut. Print. Print. <laughs> <laughs>